What's going on, everybody? This is the Coco and Connie podcast. I am your host, Coco, and today I have a super special guest with me today. Um, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? So my name's Ashley McGirt. I'm the Black Millennial Therapist. You can find me on most social media at Therapy with Ash, hashtag Therapy with Ash. All right. And um, today we're pretty much going to talk about um, mental health and mental health with um millennials um and you know how that's kind of been the topic of the topic of discussion for a lot of different things um i know you know media has been kind of blowing up mental health and um you know mental uh, therapy for black people period mm-hmm. um within i'll say like the last year or so yeah um so how's that like affected you know what you do and um I guess like your like like your clientele and people that come to you. So media has definitely had a strong influence on my clients and how they approach me. One, we're able to have the conversation now about mm-hmm. mental health. It's to the forefront, especially with all the recent celebrity suicides. Yeah. And Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so many different individuals are um, telling their stories. They're mm-hmm. sharing it and posting it. Yeah. And with that comes resources. Yeah. So there's the platform Therapy for Black Girls um, yes. and Therapy for Black Men, Psychology Today, and other resources that are really coming to the forefront in terms of millennials Mm -hmm. and that's how they're able to find me so technology has served me well in that sense Mm -hmm. it's also serving millennials well as we're able to have this platform to Mm -hmm. really share our stories versus a lot of that was kept inside and nobody really knew what was going on um, how to find a therapist that black therapist existed Mm -hmm. and for one that black people actually experience mental health because there's this mistaken belief in the community that mental health is limited to others like anyone Mm -hmm. but us meanwhile we're dying from mental health related conditions at a disproportionate amount yes yeah every day i know even with you know social media and just hearing different people's stories i was able to be like okay maybe i need to talk to someone maybe i need you know therapy um my best friend shout out to elena um (laughs) she used to say you know she has anxiety and i used to be like what what are you talking about like Mm -hmm. you know just kind of shrugging it off And she used to say, like, oh, I had an anxiety attack. And, you know, she used to say that a lot. And I didn't understand what it was. I'm just like, girl, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. But recently I found out, like, oh, no, like, this is a serious thing. You know, this is something that a lot of people, a lot of black people um, suffer with. You know what I'm saying? And so just, um, just social media, I think that has been, like, a, a... good thing good and bad because mm-hmm. it's Definitely like <laughs> both yeah because it's like like I said I had the you know the courage to be like okay you know I need to see there um, see a therapist and you know I need to talk to someone and I know other people have too but then again I think people more people are kind of using it as an excuse um sometimes and you know saying like if they you know, are committed of a crime or something like that. Now now it's like, oh, well, I was suffering from mental illness or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, I know with the um, Jesse Smollett case, that was something that came up. Like, oh, yeah. well, I wasn't in my right mind at the time when, you know, he was supposedly, allegedly <laughs> planning all this, the attack on him and stuff like that. They were saying like, oh, well, you know, he was suffering from a mental illness at the time. So in cases like that, um, 
I just think it's it, it's just it's becoming like I don't I don't want to say like it's a crutch because I know people have real problems that they're dealing with but at the same time it's like how do you even I guess differentiate the the difference like oh someone's seriously like going through this stuff or they're just using it as a crutch yeah so I hear you uh, there's a couple things that you touched on so one in terms of your friend um, shout out to your bestie <laughs> um, oftentimes in the black community we do what you described which is called minimizing so mm -hmm. we're minimizing the experiences of others um, oftentimes because maybe we've experienced something like that and we feel like oh girl it's really not that bad yeah. and then we get into a struggle war mm -hmm. where it's like well I went through X Y and Z so if I handled that you can mm -hmm. and because we're such a resilient people we expect others to be just as resilient as yes. us and we don't recognize what that resilience is costing us it's costing us our health our you know we're having high blood pressure heart attack stroke all of these different things that are manifesting themselves in our body mm -hmm. because we're shrugging things off and mm -hmm. we're not addressing it so just in terms of that when it comes to anxiety and hearing your friends and family members say what's going on I feel like we as a people need to acknowledge it like hey you're experiencing some anxiety, some depression, like mm -hmm. this is hard for you. It may not have been um, hard for you as the individual, but it's hard for your friend, your family member, yeah. um, your colleague, whoever is experiencing it. So really just creating that space to recognize that it's tough for them. Mm -hmm. And life is tough in general. Mm -hmm. And we're all navigating it in different ways. And then in terms of the Jesse Smollett situation, um, I'm always a writer for the underdog, and it's alleged. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have no proof right now. Yeah. So I'm still going to say um, there's been no proof that mm -hmm. I've actually seen. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate. He may have exacerbated the situation. He may have made the entire situation up. Mm -hmm. um, and is it related to mental illness? Is it related to drug use? There are so many different factors, mm -hmm. but I do hear you and how oftentimes someone does something heinous and it's like, oh, well, I was mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And we see that happen so much in the white community. I was, yep, yeah. Where um, it's always a mental illness, but exactly. in our community, it's criminalized exactly. behavior. Exactly, we're thugs and this, that, yeah. Yeah, and I work, um, well, I contract in the psychiatric facility, but I used to work in a, a psychiatric facility as my full-time position. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I would have to do court assessments sometimes to determine if they actually suffered from a mental illness and they needed to be placed in the psych stay in the psychiatric facility or go to the prison. Mm -hmm. um, because prisons aren't set up in a way to handle individuals with mental illness. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, several prisons are filled with individuals who have mental illness. Yes. Yeah. So that's a whole other topic, but just yeah. in terms of um, there's what we use, uh, we, and I'm saying we, which is therapists, clinicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, we mm -hmm. use a tool called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, mm -hmm. which allows us to provide a diagnosis. So we go through a set of criteria, we ask several different questions, um, we look at your experiences, and we see, do you have the mental capacity to understand what you did was wrong? Yeah. What's actually going on? There's so many different factors in assessing whether or not someone suffers from a mental illness. Mm -hmm. So that's why oftentimes that's the easy thing to do is just yeah. claim insanity. Yeah. Um, which several people do, several attorneys, they're mm -hmm. skilled in that and their automatic is going to be, well, they were suffering from mental illness. Exactly. And nine times out of ten they are. And we see it being overused to where we don't mm -hmm. often believe it. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that minimizing or shrugging or it's really not that real. And then also going back to one, do you even believe mental illness is real? Because mm -hmm. there are some people who feel like people choose to be mentally ill. Like you wake mm -hmm. up 
and you're going around choosing to be depressed because you want attention. Oh. There are, you know, I hear that. <laughs> You're definitely probably not one of those people who right, feel no. that, but yeah. we still have a huge community of individuals who believe that mental illness is not real or that you can easily just choose to be happy. That is so crazy. And there's literal chemical imbalances that are occurring in your brain that yeah. are preventing you from essentially being happy and experiencing a life yeah. filled of joy. So that's why you need to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. um, do other things that can help restore those chemical balances, mm -hmm. um, uh, create the dopamine, the dopamine in your body that allows you to experience joy. Yeah, that sounds so crazy. Like, how could how could someone say like you're choosing to be depressed? Like, no, mm -hmm. I'm, I want to be happy, but there's something holding. Like, it's something that's making me this way. There's stuff going on to make me depressed or make me sad. So, yeah, that sounds crazy to me. <laughs> Those are the people who need to hear this podcast. Those exactly. are the people that need to show up in the spaces that learn more about mental illness. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they're not. Yeah. Um, but I do see that the media is doing a better job of mm -hmm. educating the community to let individuals know this isn't something that we're choosing. Yeah. Nobody chooses cancer. We don't make fun of cancer exactly. survivors. But you call people crazy every day, left and right, and nobody chooses to be mental, mentally ill. Yeah. And one thing that's important to recognize is we all have mental health, mm -hmm. uh, each and every person on this earth, but mm -hmm. not everybody has a mental illness. Yeah. Yeah, with, um, and I see that a lot with even, you know, my family, like I, if I say like, I need a therapist or I've even told people, you know, I told my mom, like, I think you should speak with someone. I think you mm -hmm. need to talk to a real therapist because I see that and like, I feel like, you know, once someone goes to therapy, they try to like diagnose everyone around them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so they're like, like so, that. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I'm always, you know, when I'm talking to someone or if I see, you know, certain behaviors, I'm like, maybe you should speak with someone. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's like certain people I can say that to and they like they accept it they're like yeah maybe you're right you know what I'm saying maybe yeah. I should then there's other people I say that to and they're like what do you mean I'm crazy like you know they they get defensive automatically well let me tell you this I'm a licensed mental health therapist and I tell my family all the time and mm -hmm. they don't hear me mm -hmm. um not everything that you say can be received by you. Sometimes it takes somebody else to come yeah. in and be like, hey, maybe you could benefit from therapy. Mm -hmm. Because there's things that I say to my family and friends and someone else comes in and says the very same thing that mm -hmm. I say and they can receive it. Sometimes yeah. it's just our approach or who we are, like your little sister, your cousin, niece, auntie, like who are you to tell me I need therapy? Exactly. So they don't receive it from you in that manner. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing to do in that situation is to model. And model is essentially doing the thing that you're encouraging somebody else to do. Mm -hmm. And then we all, we follow each other's lead. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to therapy and you're open and you're speaking about your um, process through the therapeutic journey, then other individuals may hear it and be like, oh, hey, that sounds, some, that sounds interesting. Maybe mm -hmm. I could go to therapy myself. Yeah. So as opposed to just, hey, you need to go to therapy, you need to go to therapy, just talk about your journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like I said, bring in a non -per, um a non-biased person yeah. maybe who can say it yeah because i yeah that would help a lot because even with me sometimes like my sister can tell me something i'm like whatever girl but as soon as someone else comes and tell me i'm like oh maybe you're right so yeah maybe 
that that does you know play a big part in it just <laughs> especially from someone that you've known your whole life and it's like all of a sudden they're like oh you need therapy so yeah I can I can see that but at the girl same time, I've been in mental health for over a decade and mm-hmm. my mom still won't go to therapy but I continue <laughs> to be like mom like you need to this is a great tool yes and she won't so it doesn't matter yeah sometimes you just got to recognize that your journey and your path is not your mother's path your sister's path um we all get to life through different avenues and paths and valleys yeah do you think it has something to do with maybe that generational thing like i know what is that generation x is that we were like t- our- yeah, yeah. So there's def- definitely a generational gap in terms of mental health and stigma mm-hmm. especially in the black community yeah um because we hold on to a lot of intergenerational trauma yeah. and it goes back to slavery. Mm-hmm. So one, when we were experiencing slavery, our ancestors, they weren't allowed to be sad or cry or, or depressed because mm-hmm. the slave master didn't want to see a sad slave. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be walking around um, their plantation crying and moping <laughs> around, no. Right. So they would beat you. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Um, slavery ends, we become free, Jim Crow, the whole history we understand, and we still continue to pass down that same mindset of, Mm -hmm. shut up, or I'm gonna give you something to cry about. You're not gonna be moping around my house looking sad. Mm At least those are things that I've heard in my household. Definitely and I know <laughs> plenty of other black families <laughs> yep. who've heard, shut up before I give you something to cry about. Yep. So why aren't you allowing your child to be sad? Yeah. It goes back to that intergenerational trauma of repeating the things during slavery that served us well because it was it protected you from being beat back then mm-hmm. not to cry and look sad during slavery, but now it's killing us. Yeah. Because we're holding on to those same destructive behaviors and it's not serving anyone well. Yeah. And then also we got to realize that we are in a system that was not designed for us. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, forefathers of psychology were white men. They weren't looking at black families, black culture. And oftentimes when they were, it was doing plenty harm to us. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the older generation feels like they don't want to go to the doctor. They don't want to go to a psychologist or mm-hmm. a psychiatrist because of all the harm that was done um, historically to black people yeah. from the Tuskegee experiment other psychological experiments and things that were done to harm black people. Yeah. That's that's it's just so heavy and it's it's just like I'm so happy that now with this generation, the millennials and all that, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we're more open about it and we're like shedding light on it so much. Um how did you get your start in um mental health? Um, so I actually wanted to be an attorney. Like I said, I'm always rooting for the underdog, and I was obsessed with the OJ trial. Oh, my so God. So I was, like, following Johnny Cochran. Um, but then my grandmother died, mm-hmm. and she was the woman who raised me, and I was mm-hmm. extremely depressed, and my mom and everybody around me was like, just pray about it, just mm-hmm. pray about it. In prayer, I love the Lord. <laughs> I'm a Christian. It just... Um, I believe that you can pray and go to therapy. Yes. So I needed something um, in addition to prayer to yep. help me, and it wasn't working. And so mm-hmm. I ended up going to counselors at my school who were white women, mm-hmm. and they didn't understand the role of grandmother and black families. Yeah. And here I was, a young child, now having to explain to my school counselor why my grandmother was raising me, mm-hmm. what it was like, what it means to be a black child mm-hmm. in America, what the role of grandmother is, <laughs> while grieving the loss of my grandmother. Yeah. And I was like, why am I teaching <laughs> right? Why am I teaching you what it's like to be a black child exactly. in America? Do you have no level of cultural competency that you don't understand? 
understand mm -hmm. that this is like the mother of the family, the matriarch, mm -hmm. and you're just taking it as, oh, the elderly die, this is yeah. a normal cycle of life. Yeah. That wasn't the things that I needed to hear, nor did she grasp the impact of what this loss meant to me. Yeah. Um, so I actually spent a huge chunk of my life suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. So I did a whole 360. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go to law school. I'm actually going to go to school um, to become a psychologist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a psychologist. I'm practicing at the master's level. Mm -hmm. Eventually, um, I'll complete my PhD yeah. <laughs> and do all of that. Um, so as life happens, you know, things in our journey change. Mm -hmm. But essentially, that's how I came to this path. So I just started really wanting to understand more about the mind and depression and other ways and tools that I can um, move past my grief yeah. and what it was like losing my grandmother. And as I was reading these psychology books, I really just became obsessed with Freud. Yes. <laughs> so in my practice, I use a lot of the psychodynamic mm -hmm. um, theory, which was developed from Freud. But of course, Freud studied white Jewish women mm -hmm. and the majority of my practice are young black women. Mm -hmm. So I have to do extra things to apply those same principles to the black people that I'm serving. Yeah. So why the black millennial therapist? Like, why not? Um, I mean, I'm sure you, you know, you help other people too of all races mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But why um, focus just on us? Well, one, because I'm a black millennial, <laughs> so I want to be the person that I needed most. I started mm -hmm. out working with children because I was a child when I was going through depression. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually served the youth for probably about six, seven years, and I just found that it was too difficult for me in that journey. I wanted to take all the children home, mm -hmm. and it was very difficult for yeah. me to process all of the traumas that they had experienced yeah. when they were babies. Yeah. So that was very hard, um, hard work. The work that I do is hard now, um, because essentially the adults, the millennials that I'm working with, they mm -hmm. experience that very childhood trauma. But when you're looking a baby in the face who's telling yeah. you what happened, it's like, oh my gosh, my yeah. heartstrings. <laughs> like I and I have, yeah, I have to make sure that I'm sane enough to do this work. Yeah. So I actually ended up doing another 360 and I started working with seniors and elderly. Oh. So my full-time job, I'm actually a hospice therapist. Mm -hmm. So essentially you should be a senior when you're on hospice. Mm -hmm. But because of the zip code that I'm in, in, um, and the population that I serve. It's a um, predominantly black, mixed, diverse, mm -hmm. and unfortunately they're coming to me 35 to 55 years of age on hospice. Oh, which, fairly young. Yeah, nobody <laughs> should be dying, and it's yeah. a result of all of this trauma, all of this work, and some things that are very much preventative. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it sits in your body and it causes um, the heart problems, yeah. high blood pressure, stroke, all of those things. Yeah. I'm also seeing a lot of patients with cancer as well, which of course that's a whole, whole nother yeah. ball game in terms of that, but cancer is really killing people at high rates. Um, so just a balance as I was Working with the seniors, I wanted to get back and serve, you know, the young black millennials. Mm -hmm. And because of the media and the push just for therapy, yeah. I know that there were lots of people seeking therapy in that age group. Yeah. And that's who was coming to me. Um, of course, it's the people who I can relate to because, mm -hmm. of course, you know, I'm in that group mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then it just came about black millennial therapist. Yes. But of course, I have pe I have clients who come to me who are over fifty outside of hospice who yeah. still see me. Mm -hmm. um, I have clients who are white. I have uh, a huge chunk of clients who are Hispanic because there's also a lack of Hispanic therapists in the um, 
in the area that I live. Yeah. So I know we're here in California, there's um, more Hispanic mm -hmm. therapists out here, but in Washington, it's very limited. Yeah. So they just want to come to a person of color. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I see that a lot, even with me. Um, I know when my, my sister was the first, um, one of us to say, you know, I need to, I need therapy, I need to speak with someone. And she was, you know, in school and she was working two jobs and internship and, you know, going to school full time. And it's like, I need to talk to someone. So she um, went to a therapist at school and it was a, it was a white lady. Um, and we uh, started listening to a black girl podcast, or I'm sorry, not black girl podcast, but uh, black Therapy. therapy for black girls? Therapy for black girls. Yeah. There we go. Uh -huh. And um, found out it was like a website where we can go find a black therapist. Mm -hmm. So that was a, like, when I found that, I'm like, oh, this is it. You know, this is a great tool yeah. um, to find someone. There isn't a lot of black therapists, though. There's, um, um, it's actually blowing up quite a bit. So yeah. more and more therapists are getting on there. I was actually the only black therapist listed on there in Washington State mm -hmm. for almost a year. Yeah. Now I think there's about six. I haven't checked um, checked who's all on there now, but yeah. for a very long time it was just me. Yeah. And I only run a part-time private practice, mm -hmm. so I could not serve all of them. Yeah. Also, people were coming to me for things that aren't in my background. Mm -hmm. So. Um, like relationship counseling or just mm -hmm. other issues that I'm not skilled in or aren't up my expertise level. Yeah. So then I had to do a lot of referring out and it was very difficult. It still is difficult mm -hmm. sometimes finding therapists who can meet their needs. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely happy that more therapists are getting on there. Yeah. Um, Solange tweeted it and it like went viral once mm -hmm. Solange tweeted it. So yeah, Dr. Joy who created it, she's doing big things. Dope. Shout out to her. Yeah. Um, she was just like on MTV with uh, Angela, Angela Simmons. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because like even like that, even listening to the podcast helped a lot. So when you know I went on looking for a therapist, there there weren't like a lot of black therapists, or there wasn't there wasn't a lot of therapists in the area that I was looking for. Like I was yeah. in Detroit, and it was like maybe like three or four at the time when I was looking, and um, it was it was just difficult. Um, so I'm glad, I'm so glad that, you know, they're adding more people and more people are starting to mm -hmm. look at, you know, therapy and being a, a therapist as a profession because we need more, you know, women of color and, you know, men of color. Like, we need more black people being therapists right, to help yeah. us because I feel better, you know, talking to someone like you, so, someone that, you know, understands me. I don't have to sit here, like you said, and explain my whole background why I have to feel this way and all this stuff like that, then tell you my problems. Yeah. It's like I can just, you know, come in and just unload, unpack and not have yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> it takes away the stress of really having to explain or wonder if this person understands. Exactly. And because we know there is a lack of black therapists in mm -hmm. most neighborhoods, there are some white therapists who are culturally competent, so we just have to be skilled in asking the right questions. Yeah. Have you ever served other black clients? Am I your first? Yeah. <laughs> what does it look like? Um, how can you work with me what are your issues um there was a point in my life when i went to therapy and it was because of the stressors that i was experiencing mm -hmm. from working in a predominantly white environment mm -hmm. so for me to then go to a white woman to talk about how hard it is being around all yeah. white people that's not gonna serve me well yeah, yeah. So. so and that's a good point that she brought up like just being able to ask your therapist questions like that like i wouldn't have done that you know mm -hmm. i would have just went and then 
if I'm not feeling a good vibe or if I'm not, you know, feeling like you really understand me, I'm just going to go to another person. And that's so, a waste of our time and our and energy, money. our money, <laughs> all of that. So that's why we really have to ask up front. So mm-hmm. before I see a client, I have a phone consultation. And mm-hmm. I feel like most therapists should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is. Yeah, no. Um, but it would, it's... It would benefit the therapist and the client if you would have this conversation before even coming in the door and Mm -hmm. just offer it free to really discover what your needs are. I have a post on my Instagram. Uh, You probably got to scroll down a little bit if you're going to check and it just has some questions to ask your therapist in terms of dealing with um, cultural competence or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. If you're from the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. um, whatever race it is, it's important to ask your therapist what tools, what skills do you have? And if your issues are white people, because I'm the black millennial therapist Mm -hmm. most of my clients come to me because of racial stressors Um, and like I said some of the very things that I endured myself Mm -hmm. um, working in predominantly white environments and Mm -hmm. how that took a toll on me Um, so yeah so I have specific training that I went through to um, ensure because it's one thing to say like oh you're culturally competent well what training did you go through what what skills like I learned from Dr. Joy DeGruy who's the author of post-traumatic slave syndrome Mm -hmm. I also did other workshops and others um, specified training. I also went to a historically black college and university. Mm-hmm. So I had specialized training to ensure that I can work with black people because just because I'm black doesn't mean that I'm going to understand. I exactly. mean, we have the Stacey Dashes. Oh, I can name several people <laughs> just because you're black doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're black <laughs> or you yeah. understand black culture. Exactly. Yeah. So how would you, so I know like with, um, you know, a lot of people, um, they may want to go to therapy, um, but at the time they can't afford it or, you know, they don't have insurance and, you know, those type of things. What is a good, um, I guess, like substitute for, you know, mm-hmm. going to see an actual therapist? Um, so cost is a barrier and I understand that, especially because I'm a therapist that doesn't take insurance. Mm-hmm. I'm um, cash pay only, not meaning that you have to pay me cash, but I just don't bill insurance. Mm-hmm. I will do what's called a super bill or a statement of service where you would have to contact your insurance first and Mm -hmm. see what your out-of-network benefits are, and then you could be reimbursed. But that means you have to have the money up front to Mm -hmm. pay and then wait to be reimbursed. Um, Ask about sliding scales, because I offer sliding scales to clients, um, sometimes student discounts, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, It just depends. There's also community health agencies that see you free of charge. Okay. Um, And also see what your insurance charge is, but also recognize that when you do go through insurance, that means you have to receive a medical diagnosis. Okay. Um, because an insurance is not going to allow a clinician to continue to see someone for mm-hmm. what they see as everyday conversation because mm-hmm. the medical billing system hasn't caught up with the times to where not everybody is mentally ill who comes to a therapist. Mm-hmm. The majority of my clients are high functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, they just want to talk to somebody about yeah. the day-to-days, but insurance isn't going to recognize that. So yeah. what that means is... Um, you have to have a diagnosis, and that diagnosis can follow you. Mm-hmm. And if you ever want a specific type of government job, that can prevent you from having specific government jobs. It can prevent you from adopting a child in some cases. Um, so we really have to change our mindset and recognize that it's an investment. We have to invest in our health. Yes. And as black people, we often spend a lot of money on materialistic things. If mm-hmm. we can spend $200 on a pair of Jordans or $200 <laughs> on a weave, you can invest in your mental health. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that there are black people in the community who don't have those Jordans, who mm-hmm. don't have the weave. They're struggling. So mm-hmm. in that instance, community mental health agencies. Yeah. And it's completely free of charge. Yeah. And even with um, students, like like I said, 
still like my sister went to um a therapist at um the university she was going to mm-hmm. and that was you know covered in the tuition yeah every university has a counselor on site yeah so even yeah that can be a resource as well um but yeah i just i hear that a lot you know if i do if someone is you know receptive to it and they just like oh, trust I me i hear it every day it's too much money and i'm like okay mm-hmm. well what can you cut out because it's an investment mm-hmm. and because i'm a hospice therapist and i know that this is literally killing us mm-hmm. how much does it cost you to live mm-hmm. do you want to come sit um be on my hospice caseload and i can sit at your bedside at 35 years old and mm-hmm. watch you take your last breath right. or do you want to invest in doing the things that will um, ensure the sustainability and the longevity of your life yeah and prevent all that <laughs> no right um as far as i know like a lot of us um well millennials and people in general um when they feel depressed or they feel you know sad or whatever um they try to cope with it by using like drugs and stuff like that um how do you feel about about that like people coping just like trying to use drugs instead of talking talking out their problems i'm, I'm totally against drug use mm-hmm. um it's definitely a destructive coping mechanism. There are yeah. so many other ways and tools um, and things that we can use to help us cope naturally, organically, mm-hmm. from meditation, yoga, going on walks, mm-hmm. reading, writing, journaling, listening to uplifting music. There are so many other alternatives, but um, addiction is very tough. And mm-hmm. again, that's a, a pull on your brain um, mm-hmm. and chemical imbalances once you get started on that. And so that's something that's not my specialty. So. I'm, um, I typically don't work with addictions, um, yeah. so I would refer those to an addiction counselor or to like an inpatient or outpatient rehabilitation um, center uh, because I know that is something that is very challenging and it's not in my skill set. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm definitely totally against it. Yeah. Um, I would totally recommend so many other things and I come from a family that has a history of addictions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I see the harm that it has and the toll that it takes, but I also recognize that it's a disease, just like cancer is a disease, alcoholism is a disease, mm-hmm. um, addiction, gambling addiction, that's a disease. All of this is a disease that manifests itself in the body. Yeah, so when people go to like certain therapists, so is that like a different type of therapy or something like that? Like when people go to therapy and they prescribe them with like depression medications and stuff like that, is that, still kind of like just trying to cope with drugs or like how like what's the difference between um well there is definitely different types of therapy and different types of therapists so there would be like an addiction counselor a relationship counselor Mm -hmm. um a crisis counselor like me i'm considered a crisis counselor i do a lot of trauma-informed care um and then in terms of prescribing medication only a psychiatrist can do that because they went to med school or some what other therapists are doing now is if they have their masters, because you have to have an, at least a masters to be practicing as a therapist, mm-hmm. is you can um, get your ARMP, so your nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. So then you become a nurse practitioner, and nurse practitioners are allowed to prescribe medications. Got you. Okay. So I'm seeing some therapists are doing that as mm-hmm. a way. Cause sometimes when I say only psychiatrists, then people are like, well, no nurse practitioner, and it's like, yeah, some therapists get their nurse practitioner license yeah. um, to prescribe me. I'm all about non-drug interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I can't prescribe medication, mm-hmm. so it does not serve me well. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like so many medications are abused. Mm-hmm. We're overdiagnosed and misdiagnosed as yeah. a people. 
And some of the very things that these medications do, there's food and herbs of the earth that do the very exact same thing yes. that these medications are doing. Yeah. And so now if you're listening to this and you're on antipsychotics or you're taking medications, don't stop taking them because they're useful. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that there are non-drug interventions. So I would then invest in a therapist or see your um, PCP, your primary care provider, mm -hmm. and talk to them and see what are some alternatives? Can I get weaned off of this drug? Yeah, what are some I'm things that I can do? Because there definitely are tools in so that you don't have to live a life on an antipsychotic. Yeah, yep, because my brother um, actually started on uh, those really, really young. And it's like now he's getting older and I feel like the dosages are getting stronger and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't see a, a difference, um, you know, when he's on or off. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I like, I was totally against him being on. I think it was like Ritalin and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it's just like, because they, you know, automatically like, oh, he has ADHD, put him on this drug. And yeah. I'm just totally against like, kids being on like those type of drugs at such a young age. I think he started when he was like eight years old. Again, it goes back to diets and education. Mm -hmm. We as black people, we have to advocate for ourselves. Yes. And oftentimes we lack the education or the yeah. knowledge just because we haven't necessarily experienced these things or know, we don't know the system mm -hmm. like the predominant society does because they created the system. Mm -hmm. So we have to work within a system that one wasn't designed for us, one that's kept us apart and that has harmed us. Yeah. Um, so we definitely know that several black kids are often overdiagnosed with ADHD. Mm -hmm. and oftentimes it goes back to well one these black kids are coming from impoverished neighborhoods so they're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on on white bread mm -hmm. which is high in sugar um, processed jelly, mm -hmm. high in sugar. Mm -hmm. Then you send them to school and they can't sit still. Right. And then the teacher says oh hey you have ADHD. Mm -hmm. But if you would sit back and really assess their diet, it goes back to the food um, or the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. Especially in black <laughs> communities, we love Kool-Aid. Yep. And all that sugar and that processed, chopped up, <laughs> mm -hmm. finely Kool-Aid is mm -hmm. not good for us. It's killing us. And mm -hmm. our young children can't sit still. Yeah. And the teacher can't manage them. And the easy thing is, okay, let's prescribe them Ritalin. Yep. As opposed to, let's look at their diet. Let's make sure that there's grocery stores and foods available in the black community so mm -hmm. that they can get a proper diet, proper nutrition, and um, they don't have to have these behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so definitely we need to ask those questions as parents, as aunties, sisters, because mm -hmm. um, other people aren't asking them for us. And yeah. when it's time consuming to really sit down and say, hey, what, what, did, what did you eat? Mm -hmm. What kind of foods do you have? Yeah, and, and like you said, just having that education, just being um, aware of, uh, you know, of the things that could be wrong it's just not like oh he has adhd like no he's just hyper he's like you said he's had a bunch of sugar yeah or... so why and it's like why is he hyper okay mm -hmm. so the diet or what else is going on in the home mm -hmm. um and some people learn differently not everybody wants to sit in a classroom like we um there's learning tests now where you can figure out if you're audio visual kinesthetic mm -hmm. if you're kinesthetic you want to get up and move and dance yep. so teachers need to engage students in a variety of ways yeah. but when you're one teacher and you're managing 40 plus students it's difficult to really meet everybody's learning style and mm -hmm. that kid who's not audio or visual um, or um, <laughs> can say, there's one one other one I'm drawing I yeah. think there might be like five um, just really trying to manage all of that so that's why it's definitely better to have smaller class sizes more teachers teachers who are skilled in this who are able to recognize and then also parents too 
because parents have to have some level of accountability. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's <laughs> and we can't put everything on the teachers, which oftentimes I feel like parents do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely we as a community, we uh, black people uh, going back to our roots, Ubuntu. I am because we are the mm-hmm. African traditional saying. So definitely, you know, I'm only as great as you are. Mm-hmm. So how great are you? Because you're a reflection of me. Right. And I reflect back on you. Yeah, that's why I'm so happy that it's becoming uh, a conversation that we're having because that can prevent the next generation of kids from, you know, being on all these, you know, different drugs and stuff like that because we know, like, okay, they don't don't need it. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? They just need to be talked to or they need to, like you said, they need a different learning style or something like that. It doesn't always, it isn't just like, oh, they need Ritalin, here you go, and... Yeah, (laughs) and it's like, you know, we have to break the cycle, and it's Mm -hmm. new knowledge. Um, My boyfriend, uh, his son was going through some stuff, and I was asking him, like, well, how long is he going to be on that IEP? Because that's another thing, like, black kids are disproportionately placed on IEP, individual Mm -hmm. education plans, which also can harm you in the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, Or other things, um, a special education. Black children are disproportionately placed in special education. Um, at high rates or suspended from school. And we know when you're suspended from school, that leads to the school to prison pipeline. And then it adds to mass incarceration and then high recidivism rates because once you get out of prison, you're going back. (laughs) And it's like this bad cycle of uh, problems that's really just harming us in your mental health. Yeah. Yeah, one last thing. So I um, seen that you have a book, um, and is I tried to travel it away. Um, I know personally, I just um, I usually say that last year I was saying to myself like, okay, I'm gonna start traveling alone. I used to mm-hmm. always depend on people to travel with me, and you know if other people couldn't go, I I had to miss a trip because yeah. other people couldn't go and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just times where I need to go just be in another environment by myself and you know just have time to myself and think and whatever um so what made you write that um well i'm i'm an avid traveler and so before people knew me as therapy with ash i was travels with ash Mm -hmm. (laughs) i actually didn't even really put out to the public that i was a therapist people Mm -hmm. just knew that i was traveling all around the world they didn't know how i was traveling Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just knew this girl is gallivanting around the world (laughs) um but the backstory is the, a huge portion of my travels, I felt that I was really running away. Like, I did yeah. not want to be home. Mm-hmm. And the outside world who followed my travel blog and see my travels, they're just like, this girl is in another country like every other month. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is I, I was taking a vacation from my life. Yeah. And vacations are fun and necessary, but nobody should want a vacation from their life. So yeah. I really had to sit back and assess why when I'm home, Am I constantly wanting to get to the next country? Yes. Now I go home and I love being home. Mm-hmm. Um, there definitely are some times when I'm stressed. It still happens because life happens and I'm human mm-hmm. um, where I'm just like, oh, God, I need a vacation. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I try not to get into that zone to where I'm saying I need a vacation to get away from my stress. I'm yeah. trying to assess what is the stress. Okay, you're overworked or your family's stressing you out or so-and-so stressing you out or this is occurring. So let's address that problem mm-hmm. because when you go on your vacation, sometimes it's going to follow you on your trip which that's happened (laughs) I've been to over 30 countries and my stressors have followed me Mm -hmm. or I came back home and what I was running from was still manifesting still there (laughs) yeah it's still there so it's like you cannot travel it away you have to figure it out you have to unpack your baggage um, before during and after a trip yeah 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 that is um, 
that's that's really important because I know even with with um I instantly just thought of Solange's song with, when I read the title and I was like even with that you know she said oh try to shop it away try to do this try to do that and it was that's just another way of you know trying to cope with it instead of you know going to seek therapy and going to really talk to someone and stuff like that and I know with me um before I you know thought about going to therapy or whatever I was just like oh I'm just gonna you know work out or I'm just gonna you know go travel or I'm gonna you know do whatever instead of like facing my problems head on you know what I'm saying so I think even with and even with the podcast, I feel like I talk about a lot of things that, you know, bother me or, mm-hmm. you know, just talking to my friends about it. Just, you know, just being an open book. And that helps me a lot. So um, with that, yeah, I think that, you know, like you said, you just can't run from me. You got to deal with everything head on. Definitely. And again, all of that is destructive ways of dealing with your problems. You're mm-hmm. an excessive shopper, like someone mm-hmm. said. <laughs> and at the end of the day, once those bills come, those credit card bills, exactly. or you're looking at the bank account, you still stress out. More. <laughs> yeah, and that was the same thing. And I'm like, I'm taking all these lavish trips and I'm not even really fully enjoying them. Mm-hmm. But now I travel all around the world and I'm out of space to where I can fully enjoy it and I'm mm-hmm. excited about it. And I come back home and I'm good and I'm happy. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, there are other stressors that are going on at home that I then deal with. Because yeah. I'm not exempt just because I'm a therapist. So right. I'm not perfect. I still go through life just like the rest of the world. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Like, who is your therapist? Well, do you still go to therapy? Um, I haven't gone in a very long time. I mm-hmm. have gone. I've gone to... Um, I, I'm not going to say her name, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I've gone to a wonderful woman, a a black woman Mm -hmm. uh, who's amazing. She's in Seattle. Um, And I used to see her not regularly, but like maybe once a month, bi-weekly, a power Mm -hmm. check-in. I was going through a stressful period in my life where I would just check in with her more frequently. It just depends. But yeah, definitely therapists go to therapy, um, have coaches, have mentors. I have a strong support system. Um, My boyfriend, he's a really good partner and he definitely supports me, but I know that he's not my therapist. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) create boundaries because sometimes like when just like when you asked me, who do I go to? I ask my clients before they come to me, like, who do you go to? Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they name that person, I'm like, well, how much are you bringing to them? What are you getting back? Um, yeah. I just made a post about this today. Mm-hmm. Relationships are reciprocal. Mm-hmm. We don't want to lay all of our problems on our family or our friends because yeah. they're going through stuff too. Yeah. So in that case, that's when you need a therapist so you can really vent mm-hmm. um, and have that non-biased perspective and not lay on all your traumas. Because I'm an empath. Mm-hmm. And because I am a therapist so many people who are in my family or my circle come to me mm-hmm. and I take all that on yeah. even my clients but there's things that I do so that I can still navigate this world and feel joy and uplifted and all of all of that good stuff mm-hmm. um, but it definitely takes a toll yeah yeah and not everybody's built for this and I definitely feel like this is my journey and my gift from God so that I can do this work and I can heal others and I can spread awareness because I know there's a person sitting in a dark corner who needs to know like hey it's okay it's okay to go to therapy it's okay to talk to someone and black people experience these things as well Mm mm-hmm well, that was amazing. I'm so happy that you were able to come and talk to um, talk to me about, you know, mental health and, you know, being um, a black woman in mm-hmm. this, you know, field. Um, we don't see it enough. We need to start seeing it way more. So I'm happy that, um, you know, you could come and just talk to my listeners about it. Um, which, if you could give advice to anyone that wants to be in this field, what would that be? 
do it you're needed like i said there's somebody sitting in a dark corner who needs to hear your story who needs you mm -hmm. um and we all have gifts in this world so definitely start the process look into it um reach out to me um i love talking to up and coming mm -hmm. clinicians send me an email a dm whatever the case may be um i don't know if you just add my information in the show notes mm -hmm. again at therapy with ash and so whatever questions you have and again get a mentor mm -hmm. um if you're local if you're in the seattle area definitely feel free i have so many mentees mm -hmm. um i have mentors so <laughs> i just my advice is be a mentor and get a mentor because we all have things that we can teach each other you're skilled in podcasts maybe there's somebody who wants to start a podcast and you can mentor them mm -hmm. just an example using you mm -hmm. um but yeah we all have gifts and skills and things that we can teach other and we yeah. also are continuously learning so we yeah. need to find someone who we can learn from alright y'all well that was today's episode I'm so happy like I said um, that Ashley could come and uh, talk with us um, until next time see y'all peace peace